Second Peter chapter 2, looking at verses 10 through 14 tonight. We're back from Easter break. We are continuing in Second Peter. You guys remember the themes of Second Peter? Remember that this letter is Peter's farewell. This is the farewell from the one who's been appointed the under-shepherd of God's sheep. Back in John chapter 20, Jesus said to Peter, If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, take care of my lambs. If you love me, feed my sheep. Peter's taken that, that responsibility. He now knows that he's not long for this world. And so he is gathered the sheep, if you will, in this book. And he is warning them about false teachers. The last message we had before the break was titled this. God is not asleep. Peter's point, he was saying to the false teachers, look, they may think that they are getting away with fleecing the flock. They may think they're getting away with making merchandise of God's beloved, but in fact, look at verse 9, this is where we left off. The Lord knows how to both deliver the godly out of temptations, hopefully that's everyone in this room, and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Peter's point, God is not asleep, thank you. He quite knows how to right all wrongs, how to make injustices, turn them into justice. He knows how to reserve, it says, the unjust for the day of judgment. Now watch verse 10. Now we're in the new text that we haven't covered yet. He knows how to reserve the unjust for the day of unjudgment and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. Now, better look out because Peter's just getting started. This chapter can be described as one long, breathless torrent of curses against these false teachers. A diatribe of destruction. A litany, blistering litany of charges and curses. You guys excited? (laughs) All right, here we go, verse 10. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. Peter says to the, the wolf that's in the sheepskin suit, Uh, God knows how to deal with you, especially. That word, especially, should be particularly frightening. If I'm a wolf, that's bad for me. Now, here's the thing. I'm looking at what I believe, hope to be, a, a whole room full of sheep, not wolves, right? Now, the thing is, though, when we come to Calvary Chapel, um, hopefully when you come to the Word on your own, around here we look for personal application, Right? Well, do you see the difficulty? Raise your hand if you know yourself to be a false teacher. Okay, no one. That's good. Um, So direct application then tonight might be a bit of a challenge. I mean, at least I hope so. There will be, there should be plenty of things here as far as cursings and those things that don't apply to you specifically. But God's word is always living and active and I would say personal. That means there is something in here for you tonight. Let me put it this way. Tonight, rather than us just looking at the false teachers and saying, glad I'm not you. Instead, let's thank the Lord that we're not in that group, but also asking this, Lord, is there any description in here of these pseudo-Christians that's a little too close for my comfort? Anything that 
describes me a little more than I, maybe it should. Okay? That's the way I think we're going to get application out of this tonight. Verse 10, it says that God knows how to reserve for punishment, especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. I've got an outline for you. Um, again, trying to stick very close to the, to the actual context. Speaking of false teachers, I think Peter says three things about these guys tonight. Number one, their hearts are full of arrogance, audacity, perhaps. Number two, their eyes are full of avarice or adultery. That means greediness of the eyes and other things. And their future, number three, is full of accursedness. Okay? Their hearts are full of arrogance, their eyes are full of avarice, and their futures full of accursedness. Peter interweaves all these things tonight in such a way that it's hard for me to just say, I can't really say, okay, verse 10 is this, verse 11 is this. We have to sort of just look at all of it and kind of unravel it as we go, okay? So we may do a little bit of skipping around tonight. I apologize for that. I'm going to try to stay as sequential and as easy to follow as I can. In verse 10, for instance, I think you see both points 1 and 2 regarding false teachers. Look, number 1, their hearts are full of arrogance. And number 2, their eyes are full of avarice. It's actually flipped in verse 10. Look at it. It says, uh, let's get a running start. Verse 9, God knows how to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lusts of uncleanness. That's point number 2. Their eyes are full of avarice. And then he says, and they also despise authority. That's part number one. That's what we're going to talk about first. Their hearts are full of arrogance. They despise authority. Peter says, look, these false teachers, one way to pick them out, these guys despise authority. The word despise there is kataphroneo, and it means, it's a compound word, it means to look down upon to disdain or to look down thinking. That's literally what it means, to look down thinking. So it means you think the, the worst about something or you, uh, you look down on that person. So interesting, he says these folks look down on those in authority. So what he's saying is they look down upon those that they should be looking up. Right? He says they are going on, he says they are presumptuous, that is daring and brash. And they're self-willed. The word self-willed there means literally self-pleasing. Let me give you kind of a snapshot of, I think, what Peter's saying here. These are the folks that say, I don't answer to anyone. No one tells me what to do. Their favorite restaurant is the Outback. No rules, just right. Their favorite song is the Sinatra song, I Did It My Way. Their favorite sticker on the back of their car, no fear, meaning no fear of God or anything. They don't fear God or anyone else in authority. Now again, I'm assuming, I'm hoping that no one here is a false teacher, but maybe, maybe there's some in here tonight where these words, when you think about it a little bit, maybe burn a little too close for comfort. Let me put it this way. Do any of us, don't raise your hand, do any of us look down on those that God has placed above us? Meaning, 
Maybe, for instance, you call an elected official an idiot, a moron, or worse. I didn't write it down here because I'm not sure I even want to bring it to mind, but I remember, particularly in the last administration, there were some bumper stickers and some buttons that were, wow, I can't believe that somebody would say, would print something like that about an elected official. This is saying that they are, they despise authority. They look down upon those that they should at least be not looking down upon. This is just a reminder, y'all. We talked about it last uh, in the book of 1 Peter. God has called us to be winsome citizens. If you didn't, we had a whole series about it. To be winsome citizens, uh, to be winsome wives and husbands, to be uh, those who respect authority. Let me just go off on that tangent just a little bit to remind you. If you didn't get that series, you might, might go back and listen. Here's my, my thinking on, not my thinking, I think it's the scripture's thinking, on respecting authority. Look, y'all, let's, let's vote them out or petition. We can use assembly of free speech. The Bible says you can be angry and do not sin. Use every legitimate right that you have to influence this country toward the right thing, but never let it be said of Christians, please, at least this body, that they despise authority. That they look down upon those that God, apparently, according to Romans 13, has allowed them to be placed under. See, I'm guessing, hoping, assuming that nobody here is a false teacher. But perhaps that burns a little closer than you thought. These false teachers despise authority. It says they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, the end of verse 10, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. The word dignitaries there is actually literally glorious ones. And... uh, most, almost all scholars believe that he's talking about angels here. Now, this is interesting. Peter says that false teachers don't stop at disdaining just earthly authority. They even speak brashly about things beyond earthly authority. They are confusing. That, that's, that's confusing, excuse me, until you remember that within the category of angels also include fallen angels. Let me see if if this ties together for you. Have you ever heard a TV preacher, maybe a a health and wealth kind of preacher, or a name it, claim it kind of preacher? Maybe you've heard them say something like this. And I had a conversation with the devil. And I said, eat my dust. And I commanded him to do this. And I told him to do that. And I told him, you know who you're dealing with? And I said, take that. How do you like that devil? If you hear somebody like that who's preoccupied with a fallen angel, Peter would say, whoop, 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 alarm bells should be going off. Because look at verse 11. He says, whereas angels who are greater in power and might than these preachers do not bring a reviling accusation against them, that is, fallen dignitaries, if you will, before the Lord... Jude 9 is a, a parallel passage. It talks about, it says, Yet Michael, the ar- archangel, while, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, did not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, Listen, the Lord rebuke thee. I don't know if you hear what I'm saying, but to me, when I see folks talking very uh, brashly, even to somebody as wicked as the devil... 
it says to me that they have no fear. Um, let me put it this way. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I believe, and you should believe, the devil is real. He, and he hates you. You know, he has a plan for your life. Right? We say, God loves you and has a glorious plan for your life. The devil hates you and has a wicked plan for your life. All he needs for you to do is cooperate, okay? So I believe that Satan is real. But listen, to, if you're preoccupied with what the Bible says is a defeated foe, then something's out of whack. Okay? That doesn't mean that you're supposed to go around being scared, that kind of fear. But if you constantly saying how you defeat the devil and you, you talk to the devil, it just doesn't seem smart to me. I, I, I've heard it said, maybe you've heard it said, um, when, when the devil knocks on my door, I just turn to the Lord and say, Lord, will you get that? That's really smart right there. Peter says these false teachers are arrogant. They're brash. And he says, the, the next couple of verses in verse 12 actually are striking in their condemnation. But I want to try to stay in our theme. That is, we're talking about their arrogance. So look, uh, verse 12. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, they speak evil of the things they do not understand. See, this is more of the same where Peter's saying, look, these guys have no fear. And it's not a good thing. They're speaking evil of things that they don't even get. They don't even understand. In other words, their arrogance reveals their ignorance. Their arrogance reveals their ignorance. And it shows them, according to him, verse 12, to be these guys, shows them to be like natural brute beasts. Verse 12, but these like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed. Picture a bunch of cows on a uh, meat farm. They've got one destiny. The future hamburgers of America. Now imagine one cow saying to another, That farmer's such an idiot. Every few weeks he takes a few of us away and we never come back. He must be so stupid he loses them. And imagine that whole conversation between these two cows is going on underneath a billboard that says beef is what's for dinner. <laughs> Y'all, the reason that Chick-fil-A's uh, campaign is so brilliant is that cows really aren't smart enough to make the signs. You know that, right? Okay. See, Peter says, look, these guys are all talk, they, they talk a big game, but when it comes down to it, they don't even know what they're talking about. Their arrogance reveals their ignorance, and it's all played out under a billboard declaring their destruction. Verse 12, But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will, uh, speaking of cows, utterly, sorry. <clears throat> Had to bring in a little levity there will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure, it says, to carouse in the daytime. Still under this theme of arrogance. Uh, again, you, you go through verses 12 and 13 and you see it everywhere. Destruction, destruction, right? But right there in the middle of verse 13 is more arrogance because it says these guys, they will receive the same wages as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. 
even in hedonistic Roman times, when Bacchus, the god of wine, made all the rules, even then, any self-respecting citizen didn't carouse, that is, have drunken orgies, frat parties, in the daytime. If you were to go to your average Roman citizen and say, hey, let's party, he's like, hello, it's one o'clock, what do you think we are? Hedonists? Well, yes, but... You, got, you get the idea is that basically for these guys, there's no shame. That's the point. They're, they're out in the daytime. No fear of God. They, their sticker says no fear. And another one beside it says no shame. I know you guys know this, but I'll just say it out loud. You know, shame is still a, a good thing. The world doesn't want you to think so. If, if I'm ashamed of doing wrong... It means I still know that it's wrong. Shame. The capacity to feel guilty is one of the things that does separate us from the future hamburgers of America. You're never going to hear a cow go, sorry, my bad. Right? Let me, again, thankfully that there's not a lot of direct application, but there's indirect application here. Let me ask you a pointy question. Don't raise your hand. Are you still embarrassed by your sin? Or do you sometimes, like much of the world, say, well, this is how God made me, so deal with it. Again, I'm thankful that the destruction in these verses is not for us, but the lessons still are. Do you still have shame? See, we should... As the day approaches that we're going to see him face to face, we're to be more and more holy and yet more and more dissatisfied with where we are. I don't know if that makes sense. I had a conversation with somebody on Sunday after uh, Dave gave his part of the testimony. It was awesome. She was concerned. You know, um, I don't sense his presence every step of the every step of the way. Am, am I saved? I'm like, oh, I know you. You're different than you were a year ago. You don't need to worry about that. And what 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 she was experiencing is this where you're being more holy and more holy, but you still like, man, i got so far to go. Right? That is one of the things that separates us from the, the cattle. Um, and speaking of that, another thing. This is a, kind of a side trip, I guess, as far as application too, but it says here that they, in verse 12, these guys speak evil of the things that they do not understand. Do you speak well, do you speak evil of things that understand, but do you sometimes just speak about stuff you don't understand? Here's a tip. Try not to speak much at all about stuff you don't understand. Meaning this, God gave us, you guys heard this, God gave us two ears and one mouth. Are you one who can bloviate on a topic for five minutes before you even really understand the question? Are you an expert on stuff you've never really thought about? Let me put it a different way. Are you one who's irritated when people interrupt your speeches with, say, the facts? <laughs> Don't be a brute beast. In other words, be slow to speak, quick to listen. Again, you have to stretch to get that application. I understand that. But we're looking for applications, right? Do you speak about things that you really, like, before you even engage your brain, you're just like, oh, yeah, I have an opinion on that. Let me, let me tell you how smart I am. 
Okay, because this whole thing is the the, the last the last word on the false teacher's arrogance. Uh, Peter begins here. He says they are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. These guys. Peter says, are so brash, they're so daring, they have no shame, they speak evil of dignitaries, they speak evil of things they don't understand, and worst of all, he says, they do it all at your agape feasts. That would be for us, like they come in the, in the potlucks, and they've they got to tell you everything, how smart they are, and, well, the Bible's not right about this, but let me tell you about this. They do it all in their sheepskin suits. They... How brash these folks are, Peter says. These would be like wolves in sheepskin suits coming to dinner with a leg of lamb hanging out of their mouth. That's brash. It kind of ruins the whole vibe, right? That's why it says that they are spots and blemishes. What does that mean? Well, so let's say you got a really, really fancy, a super expensive blouse. One spot, one blemish pretty much ruins the whole thing. Peter's saying, look, your, your agape feasts, in one sense, are being ruined by these folks, by their arrogance, by their wickedness. Again, looking for application, maybe you've heard this said, everyone's a blessing to this church. Some people when they come in, and some people when they leave. Right? Which are you? Are you a spot or a blemish on an otherwise joyous get-together? Or are you, hopefully, those who encourage and, and strengthen? I, I, you know those, those books, See, Dick, Run, See, Spot, Run? Here's one, See, Spot, Ruin. Don't be a spot. All right? Now, we've seen the false teacher's arrogance. Now let's look at their avarice. That means greediness. It means their eyes are bigger than their stomachs. Uh... Peter touched on it, actually, in verse 10 again. Look at this real quick. God knows how to reserve for punishment, verse 10, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. Literally, he knows how to punish those who follow their animal nature. Because the word flesh there means... uh, to the, the flesh of our bodies, the animal natures. So what he's saying is, these guys, not only now, he's, talk, he's talking about their character, right? And he's saying, not only are they arrogant, but their, their own personal moral lives are really bad. Uh, these guys have no higher motives than they're just like cows again, right? Um, Galatians says that the flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit wars against the flesh, Right? The, the picture in, in Galatians uh, chapter 5 is that the flesh, your flesh and your spirit are entrenched against each other. They're uh, marked out their battle lines, and they're trying to take each other out. And whichever nature you follow, according to Galatians, that's who wins the battle in you. So if you walk according to, it says, verse 10, or follow, if you walk according to follow the spirit... You won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But if, on the other hand, you, as it says here, walk according to the flesh, then you, your flesh will win out. See, these guys, Peter's speaking about, he says, look, these, these guys aren't walking according to the Spirit. They're walking according to the flesh. Their God is their belly, and they are playing follow the leader with their natural self, their animal nature. 
in case I'm losing you here, these would be teachers who would say, look, sex is a, is a natural thing. Uh, look, if, if God didn't want us to smoke weed, why did he make it? Uh, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. That kind of thing. Says that they're following their natural nature, just like cows. That there's nothing supernatural about them. Verse 14 says, These guys have eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. Says they have eyes full of adultery. This is interesting. Peter's actually, that literally, it says that their eyes are full of an adulterous woman. One commentator had a great. Point. He's like, what Peter's saying is that they lust after every girl they see. They view every female as a potential adulteress. They're thinking about sex all of the time. Now, some of you are thinking, wait, that doesn't describe false teachers. That describes men. <clears throat> right? Always thinking about sex. That, that, maybe you, you heard that that phrase or whatever, um, that supposedly the average man thinks about sex every seven seconds or whatever. Um, Well, let me say this. It is true, not that part. It's true, though, that men are pigs, right? Brute beasts. Meaning, if you're not supernaturally changed, that probably will be what you think. It's it's very natural. Um, I I looked up that little factoid uh, on Snopes.com to see if it was true. The uh, men think about sex every seven seconds. It's... I got distracted. No, just kidding. Uh, No, listen. It says it wasn't true. It was just a a fable that somebody made up. But here's the thing about this verse right here. It says these guys in particular, not every man, but these guys, it's actually worse than true with these guys. Because it says they have eyes not full of just uh, sexual thoughts that try to enter in, but they have eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. And notice, too, that word cannot. Do you see that in verse 14? Not, these guys have gone from beyond. They will not cease from sin. Now they cannot cease from sin. The word cannot is akata paustus. Inside that word is pause. Think of it this way. They are unable to pause. They are unable to quiet their minds when it comes to sexual sin. They are not quieted. They cannot be quieted. The adulterous thoughts for these teachers, they run around and around in their heads and they cannot be quieted. Their eyes, Peter says, are full of adulteresses. Everywhere they turn, what they see is a potential adulteress. And sometimes... It goes beyond that because look at verse 14. Sometimes they actually entice. They have eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. You guys see how predatorial these folks are? That's why when you begin to look and you see all the words about destruction, it's like, okay, now I get it. See, these guys come to church on the prowl. They know Christianese. They talk a good game. And I hate to say it, but to them, the church is a meat market. When I first came down to to Florida and I joined a gym, I remember everybody talking about, oh, you don't want to go to Bali because that's a meat market. 
how sad is it that there are some churches, I, I don't think so here, but I hope not, I hope not. How sad is it that there are some churches where that's what men and conceivably women come for as well? When church com- becomes a place where you have to be careful about people that would approach you. But you say to, to me, well, come on, who would ever fall for that? Well, verse 14 says, unstable souls. That is, people who are not rooted and grounded in the Word. Let me be uh, very direct to you parents. Do you love your daughters? Do you want them to be smarter than the average sheep when it comes to these kind of predators? Stabilize them. Because unstable people are prone to falling for this. Teach them the word. Now, Peter's turning the corner to not just talk about sexual avarice, but all kinds of avarice here. He's going to talk about greediness of, of all kinds, wanting more. So let's talk about that for a second. Do you want to guard yourself against being enticed into greediness? Well, same answer. Don't be unstable. Be in the word. He says, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, they entice unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. The word trained there, gymnazo, place we get the word gymnasium, means to exercise vigorously in any way, either the body or the mind. What he's saying is these guys are Olympic. They're world class when it comes to greediness. He says they themselves are greedy. And they know how to exploit any greediness that might be in you. See, again, he's talking about false teachers. And these guys are world class when it comes to greediness. They know how to fleece the flocks. They, they know just what song to play while they're doing the, the fourth uh, offering that they're doing. Right? They know all of the shtick. These guys are world class when it comes to fleecing the flock and to making merchandise out of you. I know a dear couple... Dear saints that told me of a story of a situation where they were presented an opportunity to make some easy money through their church. And they found out too late that the folks that they were dealing with were professionals when it came to covetousness. When it came to... These guys were were trained at being world-class greedy people. And they knew how to find a mark and just find a little bit of greed and exploit it. What's your defense? Be in the Word. And by the way, remember this word, contentment. Godliness with contentment is, it says, great gain. How rich are you when you finally realize you don't need anything more? How safe are you when the word, you actually believe the words, all of you is more than enough for, right? It's when you start to go, oh, I don't have enough, meaning I don't get enough attention at home from my spouse. Or I don't, get, I don't have enough money. If I just had more, how dangerous do things become when you become discontent? Application then, are you Content. See, again, that's not a direct application, 
but it sure comes bubbling up from this, the text. Tonight, are you content? It's a decision. Another application from verse uh, 14. How are you training your heart? It says here, these guys have spent years and years training their heart in covetousness. They're like, yep, going to be greedy, more greedy, right? I don't think that they, any of them said, I'm really going to be greedy, but they've been training their heart, the things that they do. Let me ask you this. Are you training your heart then to be content with your finances, with your spouse, with your job, with your church? Are you training your heart to be a complainer? Are you training your heart to be a worrier? Anything you train at long enough, you're going to get really good at. Or are you training instead your heart in the right ways to think the best of others, to love your wife, to respect your husband, to replace worry with prayer? Are you training that way? Okay, every time I'm going to worry, no, I'm going to turn it into a prayer. That's training. Are you training yourself to replace your complaints with solutions? Are you training your heart to trust God in all circumstances? Same thing. Anything you train at long enough becomes second nature. You get good at it. If you're training your heart in Romans 8.28, you'll eventually start to go, okay, like the other 10,000 times, God still is, is working my good somehow in this. Okay? He says they've trained their heart, or excuse me, they have a heart trained in covetous practiceness, and it closes tonight with, and are accursed children. It means they are children of destruction. Again, we, we're probably not going to spend a lot of time on this. Because I hope everybody here, if you're a child of God, you are not accursed. These guys are spots and blemishes. You are spotless without blemish because of Jesus. If you're a child of God, you are not accursed. And if you're not accursed, then this doesn't apply to you. And if you are accursed, you're still a a child of the devil. Pretty much everything I say, you're not going to listen to anyway. So, not all. A whole lot of sense in us talking about this destruction for a long time. But just so you see it, let's fly over these verses that we've just covered. And I want you to just see how much destruction awaits these guys. Verse 9 talks about their punishment and their judgment, right? Verse 12, it says, But these, like natural brute beasts, made just to be caught and destroyed. Like, Like the... I heard somebody, I think, this week talking about chickens and like you start to give them names and stuff and then all of a sudden they're at the dinner table, right? But he says here, these guys, their, their purpose from God's perspective is to be caught and destroyed. They speak evil of things they do not understand and they will utterly, it says, perish in their own corruption, more destruction. Literally, they'll perish by their own perishings. Uh, verse 13, and they will receive the wages of unrighteousness, that is, judgment, destruction. Look down at verse 14, they have eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. Now, that might not look like destruction, but I tell you this, whenever you cannot cease from sin, that means either God has turned you over or you've turned yourself over, and that always means destruction. Then it says, the last thing there, they are accursed children. 
See, above all of these applications that I hope you have found as humble sheep, right? We are the sheep of God. We're supposed to be looking for applications. We, we have to work hard, I think, to pull them out tonight. But above that, the, the actual clear context is this. There's a repeating trumpet of judgment for the wolves. Saying, Peter's basically saying, look, you will be caught and destroyed. You will perish in your own corruption. You will receive the wages of unrighteousness. When it comes to the wages of sin, God never misses payday. It says, yes, you're living off the fat of the lamb right now. You're gorging yourself with the, the fat of the sheep. And you can't stop because you've trained your heart this way. But know this, Peter would say, you are accursed. You are doomed for darkness. Now, should I say, let's pray? No, I can't leave you like that. Let's do this. Look down at verse 17. We'll touch on it on Sunday, but I just want to show you something. These are wells without water. They're clouds carried by a tempest. For whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever? This is again to give you perspective. You are children of God. At least I hope you are. What he says there is, these guys are wells without water. Think about in the Middle East, at, at, at least as valuable as oil is water. He says, these guys, imagine you're, you're trudging through the desert. You've been going for six, seven miles. Your, your tongue is parched. You can barely keep it off the, the roof of your mouth. You Finally, you see a, a, a well in the distance. You crawl your way there. You take the take the bucket, drop it in, clang. Peter says these guys are like that. They promise you living water. They promise all of this great stuff, and they never deliver. He says these guys are like clouds carried by a tempest. Literally, it's clouds carried by a whirlwind. The idea is, again, a farmer's looking for rain. He's like, oh, you know, my crops are just about ruined. Please send some rain. There's this cloud that looks like it's going to bring great relief and enjoyment. But instead, it is carried by a tempest, a whirlwind. The idea is a destructive force. You're out there praying for rain and instead you get a deluge. He's like, these guys, these false teachers, they promise refreshment like a well, but they never deliver. They promise food, but they deliver flood. They deliver destruction. The reason I'm pointing that out for you is, do you understand that verse 17, all of it really, the reason that God hates these guys so much is because He loves you. That's the reason that He hates them so much is because He loves you and He does not like what He sees them doing to you. 